Do you believe what Jesus said about you? He's got confidence in you. He not only loves you, he believes you can do what he did when he was here on earth. And what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom and he healed the sick. Well, tonight I want to talk to you about a passage of scripture that is really, it's in the gospels and it is one of the most colorful miracles and encounters uh, that the disciples have with Jesus in the entire gospel record. In Matthew chapter 14, what happens is Jesus has gotten word about his cousin John the Baptist being beheaded. He wants to get the disciples away so they can, it's been a busy ministry season. They've been sent out, they've been ministering, but uh, the crowds are everywhere. As he comes to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, comes off the sea, he's, he sees the crowds gathering, he has compassion for them. Right away when he sees them, he tells the disciples, listen, I would like to feed them. And the disciples are like, there's just no way that's possible. They spend all day looking. At the end of the day, they tell him, listen, all we found is a little boy's got a sack lunch, and uh, what's that going to do for so many? He has them sit down. They sit on the grass. He blesses the food, hands it to the disciples, and the food is multiplied as the disciples pass it to the people, and 5,000 men besides women and children are fed. From there, he sends the crowd away because they want to make him a king. John's gospel says it. He goes up on the mountain to pray. As he goes up, the disciples are in a boat. He's sending them over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's the middle of the night. The wind is buffeting the boat. It's driving it out into the center of the Sea of Galilee. It's not a big body of water. It's 13 miles long, seven miles across at its widest point. So we would think of it more as a lake. But he comes walking to them in the middle of the night. And the, and the Bible says he intends to pass them, but they see him and they think he's a ghost. Let's pick it up there. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So he's been praying all night. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. You could, one commentator says, you could read it, get a hold of yourself, get a grip. It's I. It's me. I, I, it's, I am. Ego a me. Uh, he calls himself the I am. I, I am. I'm God. Don't be afraid. Then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, you know, we've read that story and heard that story, and so uh, now if, if you and I happen to be out on the Sea of Galilee and we saw Jesus walking, we would, you know, say, Jesus, let us do that. I mean, we want to get out of the boat and walk on water like you, like you do. But honestly, as I read it, I have to, if, I'm, if I've never heard this story before, Getting out of the boat and walking on water is the last thing that would enter my mind. Honestly, I, I think about it, I think, would I have wanted to do that? Would I have thought about doing it? I mean, why would anybody think of doing that? I mean, it really doesn't make sense unless you understand some things in the way of the background of 
Peter and the disciples and Jesus and the whole Jewish culture of what it means to be a disciple. In the Jewish educational system, when children are six years old, they begin to study the Torah and they'll do it for a period of four years. And at the end of that time, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So we're talking Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they're going to study this. And at the end of, of their time of study, they will have memorized all five books of the Torah by age 10. Then those who show an aptitude for the study of Scripture, for the memorization of Scripture, and in some sense the application of it in their life, would go on to a, another level of study called Beit Talmud. And what they would do is they would study the rest of what we would call the Old Testament. And they would study that from ages 10 to 14. And the ones that didn't, they would begin working in the family business. They would learn a trade. The, the girls would learn uh, the role of a Jewish mother. And, and so, but if they, if they got to continue their studies, they would memorize the rest of the Old Testament. At the end of that time, if they, if, for most, they would go then into uh, the family business, their trade. They would probably around that time be thinking of an arranged marriage, that a marriage that had been arranged for them, and, and begin creating a family. Uh, that would be a part of, of their life. But for those who showed a, a great aptitude for learning and and a desire to know the scripture, to apply the scripture, what they would do is they would go to a rabbi and they would ask that rabbi if they could take that rabbi's yoke upon them. The yoke would be the rabbi's teaching, his, not only his, you know, it'd be like this, and then every pastor has a certain take on on different scripture, you know, you could hear somebody preach it one way and somebody preaches it another way. And, and so um, certain people would believe certain uh, truths to be maybe more important than others, or uh, you would hear certain teachers apply scripture in certain ways. And so that it'd be that way with the rabbi. He would say, here's the law and, and here's what other rabbis say about this law. And I, I tend to go with this group of rabbis and here's the way I understand the application of of the law in everyday life and how to be observant of the law. And that teaching would be called the rabbi's yoke. And so the, the student would go to the rabbi and would say, I want to take your yoke on me. In other words, I want to be, I want to learn from you and I want to do what you do. And the rabbi would interview them and, and um, for most students, they would never be invited by the rabbi to follow him. So for most of them, the rabbi might interview them, and, and his question in the back of his mind would be, can this, can this person do what I do? Can they think like I think? Can they say what I would say? And can they actually do what I do? And, and through that person will my yoke, my teaching, be expanded. For most, that would not be the case, and the rabbi would say, you know, obviously you love God, and, and um, you, you love the Word, but you're going to be better served to be a part of the community by being a part of your family business. But every now and then, there would be a student, and the rabbi would say, you know, I think this, I think this kid's got it. 
I think this kid can, can learn how I think and can begin to teach like I would teach and, and do what I do. And it would, be a, it would be a process of following really from age 14 to the age of 30. So we're talking a very extensive time of training. And the rabbi then would say to them, come, follow me. And then that student would follow them. He would leave his home, he would leave his family, and he would go wherever the rabbi went and would learn from the rabbi and would listen to the rabbi and would watch what the rabbi does. That explains then why you have what we have in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, instantly. I mean, this is, I don't know about you, but that seems odd too, doesn't it? Because Peter, in his case, has a very viable fishing business. He has an upper middle income. It would be like somebody who has an upper middle income and very successful, uh, strategically located. Uh, you can go to Capernaum today and you'll see that there's the synagogue where the synagogue sat. There's Peter's houses right near the synagogue. So he was, he was deeply religious, but very well connected and had a great fishing business. So he and Andrew leave it just like that. And you're like, uh, well, that's very unusual. If Jesus comes up to you and you don't know him in the way you know him now, and he asks you, if I come up to you, so I'm not Jesus, but I'm a teacher of God's word. I'm a rabbi. If I come up to you and say, Brian, come follow me. Are you leaving everything to follow me? I mean, that, that, that's uh, Manish. Are you leaving AT&T to follow me? He's shaking his head no. He's like, I know you and I'm not doing it. So, but I mean, it's just, that's a massive commitment that's made on the spot. And then we read on, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they're in a boat with their father Zebedee. So this gives you an idea. These are young men preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Very interesting. What's happening here? What you have here is you have people who are deeply religious. We know that because a year earlier, what happens? Andrew is with John the Baptist, remember? John chapter 1. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's, John says, you know, I wouldn't have known who he was except the one who sent me to baptize. said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he's the one. And they're, they're there because watching John, because they're very spiritual. They're also there because they never made the cut. They, they were never invited by a rabbi to follow. And so they went into the family business. 
But now all of a sudden, Jesus, and when you're, when you're reading in Matthew, Jesus is one year into his ministry. He's had a Judean ministry. We know that because when he shows up in a parallel passage at Nazareth, people are saying, you know, do hear what we've heard you did in Judea. We want to we see the miracles that you've been doing. So Peter and Andrew and James and John, they know who he is. They've heard about the miracles but now they have the opportunity of a lifetime. A rabbi is actually coming to them and saying, follow me. Jesus comes to the anyone's and the no ones. He comes to the everyone's. And he says, follow me. Here's what he's saying. When he does that, he's saying, I think you can do what I do. He's saying to Peter, he's saying to Andrew, he's saying to James, he's saying to John, follow me because I think you can say what I say and do what I do. Now, as you come to Matthew, it makes more sense. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. What's motivating Peter? Because if he is a disciple, if he is a follower, if he's been invited to follow this rabbi, then a part of the invitation is the rabbi is saying, I think you can do what I do. And Peter is saying, if I should be able to do what you do, you're walking on water, so I want to walk on water. Now watch this. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, typically we hear that and we, we hear that Peter was doubting Jesus, but Jesus is still walking on water. He's not sinking. What's Peter doubting? He's doubting that he can do what Jesus is doing. You know, he gets to looking at the wind and the waves, and all of a sudden, the circumstances of, of where he's at make him doubt that he can do what he sees Jesus doing. So, the absence of faith and the presence of doubt has to do with what he believes God can do through him. You know, what I've watched with people, especially in, as we've gone through this season where we're, where we're seeing God do so many extraordinary miracles, and when I talk to people and listen to what they say and how they process things, here's one of the things that I think... Um, hinders Christians, not just in the realm of healing, but in almost every aspect of living the Christian life, is they, they don't believe they can do it. So like Jesus calls us to love, and, and you know, we all would want to love like he loves, but in certain situations, especially if somebody hurts you, or somebody is unkind to you, or somebody is, is actually hostile towards you, then it's like, I don't think I can do that. And we doubt we can love like Jesus loves, right? 
or we go to pray for somebody and honestly you read the gospels and what happens in the gospels when you follow Jesus everywhere he goes he heals people through the power of the spirit everywhere he goes he does that if you're his disciple and if he's called you to follow him and if you're a Christian he's called you to follow him you didn't decide that on your own he called you you responded to that you heard the gospel you heard the word of God and faith ignited in your heart that was the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ Jesus was saying come follow me and when he says that he's saying I'm calling you which by and large he's calling as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 not many wise not many noble God's chosen the foolish things the things that are not those, those are the people, by and large, he chooses. And every now and then, there's a wise or a noble person. But, but for the most part, God delights in taking the unqualified and doing the extraordinary with them. It's his call that qualifies. Because it's his power that makes the impossible possible. Jesus has confidence in you to say what he says and to do what he does. He's got confidence in you to share the message of the gospel just like he would. He's saying, I believe. You may not think you can do it, but that's where, that's where you're not seeing it the way he's seeing it. You know, he goes to Moses and he, he tells Moses, I'm sending you to, to Egypt and to deliver my people. And Moses is like, who am I? He comes to Gideon, who's hiding out, and Gideon says, wait, you got the wrong person. I'm, the, I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm this, I'm this. He lists out all the things that disqualify him, and Jesus says, go in the strength you have, O mighty men of valor. You see, God sees, Jesus sees in every one of us what most often we don't see at all. And we have to decide who we're going to listen to. Are we going to listen to ourselves? or are we going to listen to him? Are we going to believe what we think about ourselves? or are we going to believe what he thinks about us? Are we going to have faith in his ability to fulfill what he sees in us? Are we going to have faith in the fact that he's called us to follow him and the one who called us to follow him called us because he said, I believe he or she can say what I say and do what I do. So that when you come to praying for the sick, again, it's, it's not about you. It's about him working through you by his spirit. But it's again, it's you saying, you know, listen, I just know that he's the one who called me. And if he's the one who called me, he's the one who is able to do through me what he does, what he did. It, it, again, it's do you, do you believe what Jesus said about you? He's got confidence in you. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. He not only loves you, he believes you can do what he did when he was here on earth. And what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom and he healed the sick. He believes you can do that. That's why he called you. In fact, we read in John chapter 14, 
Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says, you, I've called you and I'm going to use you and I'm going to work through you. And the power's not yours, it's mine, but my power is going to work through you and accomplish what you could never do on your own. Do you believe that? I mean, do you have confidence that that's true? So rather than next time you're going to pray for somebody and you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know, boy, that's a, this is a big disease, this is a big problem. Rather than doing that, you need to remind yourself, Jesus believed that I could say what he says and do what he does. And so Jesus, you believe in me and I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I believe you want to do it. I believe you will do it. And then he gives us a promise and repeats it twice. I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then you're like, uh, I'm not sure I really got that. Did he really mean that? Yes, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Anything. You can ask. He'll do it. So, my question to you is, are you confident that you can do what Jesus does? And I think for all of us, we just, you know, one of the things that helps us is when we just settle it in our heart and allow the Lord to just make this truth real to us. Peter got out of the boat and asked that because a disciple should be able to do what his rabbi does. If it's you, that's what he says. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk to you. Because if you're doing it, I'm supposed to be able to do. You said you believe I could do what, what you could do. And Jesus, without hesitation, says, come. Absolutely. I do believe. I do, I do think you can do what I do. And Jesus thinks you can do what he does. The question is, 